Good morning. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Psalms 46. If you're here today, we're glad that you're here. And I know we've got a lot of people traveling for Memorial Day. It's a good weekend to get away and get an extra day. And so we hope they get the rest that they that they need today. But we are here to look at God's Word this morning. If you're visiting with us, welcome. And just a little bit about what we do. Uh, we preach through books of the Bible. And, uh, and so we have landed in Psalms and we are working our way and we find ourselves today at Psalms 46. And so this is the word God has for us today. So let us stand to our feet as we learn today that the exalted God is a refuge for his people. Notice with me as we stand, we get, get ourselves ready. Notice the introduction. Some has one, so let's pay attention to that. It says to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to the Alma, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the Mountains tremble at its swelling. At the city of God, there is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She, she shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word you have given us. You have given to your people. Through the centuries. To comfort your tired, your warned, your threatened, you're persecuted, you're despised people. It may be despised by this world who may live in a world full of chaos, but they have an immovable God. Lord, we thank you today that we could say because of Christ, we are those people. So we have a hope today to this word. We have a hope of rest, of gladness in you, God. We have a hope that one day all that is wrong will be made right. And that you will be worshipped by the nations. Oh God, that that would be the motivating factor of my life. That the nations will be glad in you. But Lord, today we want to be glad in you. So make us glad in your word. It reveals who you are today in Jesus name. Amen. So let's sort of start in the text with the introduction. We learned a little bit about those sons of Korah last week. 
This wasn't simply the praise team of that day, so to speak, or the choir of that day. These men wrote some of these psalms. They put them to music. A matter of fact, if you look down there, according to the Alma, that looks sort of like you would say at Alamoth, but it's Alma. It actually means young woman. So what most people think, that is, that's the pitch that you should sing this in. This would be best sung by those with a higher voice, even a soprano. That's what that means. So again, we find ourselves expositing a song today. That is, is God's holy word. The rest here, the sailors, are meant in this to be that which builds. Every three stanzas then would build a little bit. If you notice that if, when you listen to singing, we do that in our music. Starts off a little bit slower and it gradually reaches a climatic point in the psalm. This is meant to do that. There is an immediate context that we don't know specifically. It was after a great victory for God's people. Everybody likes to argue about which victory it was. God's people had went through many battles as, as his people through the years. And God had brought them through many things. So I want you to spend just a second. Do you have a moment, an event in your life that was a landmark moment? One of those pivotal moments that you remember that God brought you through it. God rescued you. God sustained you. And you go back to those moments. Matter of fact, if you get a chance just to be a, just a witness or talk to someone for just a minute about the Lord, that moment usually will come up in your life to them. You remember that moment? What was the context of that moment? Most of the time, that moment came into being because of a trial, because of something that was overwhelming. There was something in your life that felt like at that moment you was about to be overcome. Israel had those moments many times, but they had one in particular that the Bible would refer back to, and Mike has already set that for us through music. Turn with me to Exodus. You might want to mark Exodus 14 in your Bibles, because we're going we're to come back to this several times. So I want you to see, this was the defining moment, the landmark moment for the people of God. So after 400 years in captivity, someone tell me what happened. One knows the story of God's people and Moses. What happened? Yeah, they got brought out of Egypt. Who did God use to bring them out of Egypt? Moses. So you remember they, they came out of Egypt. Everybody's <clears throat> doing their happy dance on the way out, you know. God ends up leading them to the Red Sea, you remember? That first proverbial rock in a hard place. We're going to come back to that here and look at some of the details as this psalm unfolds. We got to have as, as the sons of Korah would write this after a victory in their day. They're remembering that day. God would part the waters and his people would go across. If you got Exodus 14, I want you to see what happens next. This is really... What's in the mind as we're singing this Psalms 46, Exodus 14, look at verse 26. Now the people have went across the Red Sea. Here's what the Lord said. The Lord said to Moses, 
Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and, and the horsemen of all the host of the Pharaoh. That's important. They had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And Israel saw great power the Lord used against the Egyptians. The people feared the Lord, believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. In the midst of a chaotic world, it is the Lord of hosts that is with us, just as they are within. Therefore, we can take refuge in Him. That's what we want to look at today. There's three stanzas, and so there's three points today. The first one is I'm using the Lord of hosts. We're going to see that. The Lord of our host is our unshakable rest. I want you to see when you hear the word refuge in the Bible, you hear the word rest for His people. He's our unshakable rest. The Lord of hosts is not only a place to survive, God not only helps us to survive, but He gives us a source. He is the source of life and gladness. And I want us to finally see, because of this, the Lord is worthy of all of our worship. And He is worthy of the all of all peoples. And He will have it. So let's see first. The Lord of hosts is our unshakable rest. Look at verse 1. I love this passage. If I had to... If you ever go on a mission trip or something, you've had to, I've had it times, and if you've been on one, you had to stand up and give a testimony, or if you're a pastor, you're going to have to preach a sermon, you've got to have one in your Bible. This is, one, this is one of them good psalms you want to have ready. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I've said this many times, especially when we've lost in funerals, when we've lost someone close to us, what we need in that moment in the trials of our life is a present rest, a God that operates in the present. It's not a matter whether we're going to be attacked. It wasn't a matter for that for God's people. It's only a matter if. You see, you don't have to seek after chaos. Say chaos will seek after you. Not all has been made right yet. Here's what he wants us to see. God is the rest. God just doesn't give us rest. He just doesn't give us refuge. He is that refuge. To have rest is to have God. To have God is to have rest. This is the common story that began in the garden and that ends with God's glorified people, with God. It is the story of the Bible that God brings present strength, present stability. To his people. In their everyday life. You see these big moments. Are just indicative of that which happens in everyday life. We're always finding ourselves between rocks and our places. Those Red Sea moments. I want you to connect a word. Turn with me to Psalms 91. This is a critical word for the people of God. We've been talking about it. It keeps, it keeps coming up. Psalms 91. Look at verse 2. Psalms 91, verse 2. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, here's our word. We're going to hear this one in a minute too. My fortress, my God, 
In whom I what? Trust. How do you know you're resting in God? You're trusting. How do you know you're trusting God? You're resting. These two are inseparable. They're the basis for verse 2 and 3. Verse 2 says, Therefore, because I trust Him, because we're resting in Him, we will not fear. Listen, there's chaos. You've got to see these first two stanzas, these first two points. We're resting in the midst of chaos. Chaos is all around. You see it here. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, the waters are roaring and foam. This is the word picture. What do you think about when you think about in this world something that's immovable? Think of a mountain. That's, what, that's the picture here. Something that is steadfast, something that's immovable. Every person likes to go climb a big mountain so they can try to conquer it. It is the picture of that which is immovable in this life. And yet the ocean here and there is a picture of chaos. That which is constantly battering this high cliff, this mountain that seems immovable, will eventually, here's the picture, literally can't take it anymore, and the mountain will throw itself into the sea. This is a contrast against God. God is the immovable. And those who rest in Him, who have faith in Him, who trust in Him, are not afraid even when real forces, real danger, and real chaos is happening around us. He is God's all-sustaining power that causes us not to fear and nothing else. God's power is contrasted against the mountains. Something that is stable and says in comparison to God, don't want to trust in a mountain. Turn with me. I want you to see this, this connection back in Exodus. Told you to mark it, and I didn't mark it myself. <laughs> Let me mark it too. Exodus 14. Now look at verse 13 and 14. This is on the front end of the Red Sea crossing. Verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stop there for just a second. Why did he tell them to fear not? Because they were scared to death. They had the... Red Sea in front of them. They had Pharaoh's host of armies coming toward them. And they're sitting there going, what in the world did you do? We could at least stay there and be slaves. Instead, you brought us out of here to be slaughtered. They were scared to death. So what does he say? What does Moses say? He says, fear not. Stand firm. Did he say, take up your weapons? Let's, let's just lean in. Let's just do the best we can. Let's just try to defend ourselves against these people. This is all, with, all we got is us today. Is that what it says? No, it's not what he says. He says, and see the salvation of the Lord. Look at this. Which He will work for you today. This is a promise. You'll see what happens later. The Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. For the Lord will fight for what? For you, you need only to be silent. You be silent, you stand firm, you trust Him, and you rest, and you watch God work. This is the picture. This is the song. It's the song of the Bible. Turn with me to Hebrews 3. I love this text. 
Hebrews was written to who? Believers or non-believers? Believers. It was written to believers. It was written to scared believers. It was written to persecuted believers. Believers who said maybe it would be easier if we just went back to Judaism, if we just went back to living by the law and practicing the sacrificial system, we wouldn't have all of this suffering. And he's encouraging them in the midst of the trials. The promise of rest. Look at verse 12. Hebrews 3 verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold fast our confidence firm to the end, as it is said, and now he's quoting the Old Testament, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your your hearts as in the day of rebellion. He's speaking of God's people in the wilderness now. Verse 16, for those who heard, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he not swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter Because of unbelief, they were unable to enter what? Rest. What was the rest there? It was a promised land. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, because of this, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For the good news has came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith. With those who listen. For we who have believed. Enter that rest. It's how we live. We live. We live just like them. Listen. This is important this morning. What matters this morning. Is not whether you have faith. But rather what you have faith in. Is trustworthy. That's the point this morning. The point is not. That you have faith. The point is, rather, what are you having faith in? Is it trustworthy? The secular humanists and the atheists have faith. Every belief system on the planet has faith. Secular psychologists in almost every Disney movie tells us we need only what to succeed in life? To believe in ourself. Saw a guy I was praying for, for years today, posted, we do not need to be saved or rescued. We need only to understand the knowledge and power within us and know how to unlock it. How's that working out for us? Here's the question this morning. Are you infinitely, unshakably trustworthy? Let's be honest Am I infinitely unshakable trustworthy? We all know the answer to that question, don't we? Absolutely not. Then why turn to yourself for rest when it only comes from one who is infinitely, unshakably trustworthy, infinitely power, and infinitely good? It is our God. The Lord of hosts is our unshakable rest. Listen, in the midst of chaos. But look at the second stanza. Verses 4 to 7, the Lord is our constant source of life 
and gladness. We could, we could say he is our constant source of confidence. But I want you to see the text. It's clear that this unshakable God is also the most high God. Look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the most high. The most high. This word for God, Elion. It almost doesn't even need to be defined, does it? The most high. This is an expression of God's exaltation. His exalted status. It is a, it is a picture for God's name that expresses His authority. We could say, God the Supreme One. This reflects, this is important. The imagery is important here because we have these pictures of refuges and fortresses and strong towers. All these pictures, we have to have a high God, the highest, the most high. Look at this. There's a city of God. This messes all of us country folks up, doesn't it? doesn't say the pasture of God. (laughs) It's a city of God. What does that mean? This is the great theme of the Old Testament. You've got to grab this. This is God's choice of Israel. They're His people. The city of God is simply a location. It is a community. People that God has chosen for His own possession. And listen, this is where God habitates. This is profound when you realize who God is. God takes up habitation with his people. Word there. Habitation means dwelling. It means to tabernacle. Do you think this is not what John had in mind in John 1.14 when he says the word became flesh and tabernacle dwelt with us. Jesus tabernacled with his people. This is the point of this. From God Himself comes a river. You see it? The river is in the city. Chaos outside. God's people in the city. God is there. He is habitating. And look, from the beginning of this book to the end of this book, God is pictured as a river of life. Turn with me to Genesis 2, verse 10. Genesis 2, verse 10. Remember the garden? That was the perfect first place of rest. God created it, and it was perfect. And God's people lived in the garden in perfect rest, in perfect fellowship with their God. And Genesis 2, verse 10 says, A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. We could turn, we don't have time today to turn to Revelation 22, and you will see from the throne of God flows a river. It is the river of life. Do you remember the conversation with the Samaritan woman? John chapter 4, verse 13. He encounters this Samaritan woman at the well. She came to get water. She had to come at a time where the other women didn't because of her life. And he engages her with the subject matter there to bridge it to the gospel. It's a good point, by the way. Don't overthink sharing the gospel. Follow Christ. 
There's a well, there's water, I am life. I'll use this. Remember what he said to her? Everyone who drinks of this water be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him, listen, will become in him a spring of water dwelling up to eternal life. Why? Because now God dwells in us. He is our sustaining strength. He is our life. The water that begins in the garden will end in the city of God. Joel 3 verse 18, just listen to it, a bit hard to find. Think about that day. And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and the fountains shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. What we see in the midst of the city with chaos on the outside is not only simply people surviving, but people that are glad. Do you know, when you're anxious and worried, hard to be happy. (laughs) Hard to be glad. It's hard to enjoy. It's almost impossible to worship. Gladness. They're glad. They're not surviving in the city. Outside of the city, everything is shaking. But those that are inside the city, listen, New Testament believers, those that are in Christ are unshakable, not because of the power within us in our own selves, but because of the Christ we are in. Here's our unshakable hope. He is the source. Look at verse 5. It turns back to Elohim. I want you to see this connection. Notice what it says. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her. Notice this. When the morning dawns. We still have this immovable God. You see in the midst of chaos. Now turn with me. Exodus. Back to Exodus 14. I want you to see this. This is the exact words. Exodus 14 verse 27. So Moses stretched out his hands over the sea. And the sea returned to its normal course. When the morning appeared, it's the same language. When the morning dawned, Christ moved for His people. When the morning dawned, God turned towards the enemies of God's people. This is not only what Psalms 46 had in mind. This is what Lamentations had in mind. 322, when it says, God's mercies are new every morning. And I know we like to Think about maybe the context being a quiet morning when the birds are singing. But we're in the wrong context for this psalm. The context of this psalm is the chaotic enemies are outside trying to get to the people of God. And the greatest mercy we have is when in the morning God stands up. He stands up for His people. So you're eating supper one night. Picture windows out there, brothers, I'm talking to you. Maybe some of the ladies. Looks out there, here comes a bunch of thugs, and they're armed. They're headed towards your doors. You've got about 30, 40 seconds before they kick your door in. What you going to do? What you going to do? You see, let me ask you a question, brothers. When they kick your door in, Are they going to meet a man of peace or a man of war? Are they going to meet the man of war? You see, the only way to have peace in that moment 
is to deal with the thugs that just kicked in your door. In the same way, brothers and sisters, our Lord knows how and when to defend His people, and He calls on His people to trust Him. He is, brothers and sisters, verse 7, this is the chorus. This is the refrain. He is the Lord of hosts. And He is with us. He's the God of Jacob. So what is the Lord of hosts here? Two contexts in Scripture. Sometimes it's the armies of Israel. God uses the armies as His armies. But more likely, 1 Samuel 17, 45 is the text, if you want to look at it later. Speaking of the angelic armies that are at the command of God. Remember what He said when the enemies come to take Jesus away? Do I not need to simply call down? There's armies around our Lord. He is the commander of them. And God is with His people. And all His armies are with Him. Notice that He's also Jacob's God. You see that? What is He saying? Yes, He's saying that He's the God of our ancestors. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's what He's also saying. This is His people. We are His people. We didn't start ourselves. We didn't choose ourselves to be God's people. God chose us to be His people. He initiated a covenant with us. We were His people. And we were in trouble. Fortress. You see, you need a most high God to put you the fortress. This is a picture of refuge, but it's a picture of actually taking you up and setting you on a high place while the Lord of hosts deals with the enemies. I don't know if you, you had this experience when you were young, but I can still remember it. Me and my sister talk about it sometimes. Of going out in the ocean with my dad. What did he do? And I was a little bitty thing. It seemed like we were out 30 feet in the ocean, you know. We probably weren't out very far. But he would put us on, our sh- on his shoulders in the high place. Why? To keep us from having fun? No, so that we might have fun. You know, when I started to enjoy the ocean, when I crept grabbing a hold of his hair and clinging onto his head like I was going to die, and I began to trust him when I know he really had me. God puts us in a high place. Make no mistake, brothers and sisters, the world's in chaos. It is now, it is then, it will be this way until the Lord comes back. The nations rage, verse 6. And the kingdoms totter. This is life under the sun. The world is aflame. But God's people are in God's city. They are safe because God is there. And then we see chaos meets the word of God. You see it in verse 6. He utters his voice. The earth melts. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Listen to the third stanza. His oath, His covenant, His blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid, what rock I stand. All over the ground, sinking sand. 
He is our unshakable God, our unshakable rest. He is the source of our life, of our gladness, because He is with us and in us. But this psalm takes a very victorious and sobering turn at this moment. And oh, how we have misunderstood and misapplied verse 10 because we have taken it out of the context that it was originally written in. The context is God's people have just experienced a victory. And just as they are really God's people, they are really God's enemies. And so he says, after this victory, verse 8, Come, behold the works of the Lord. That's an imperative. So who's he talking to? Well, we're going to come back to that in a minute. What's the works? It tells us what he's done, doesn't it? Look at the text. See, most of the time we don't even have to interpret the text. We merely have to read it. By the way, never get, never get mad at a preacher because he reads the Bible to you. <laughs> you really got a problem with the text at that point. He has brought desolation on the earth. You see the chaos? In the morning, God has turned his face towards the chaos, towards the enemies. And now he beckons all to come and look. Look at what I've done. The outcome is peace. The process is judgment. The process is judgment. This is not an Old Testament thing. Second Peter 3. Turn with me to Second Peter. You cannot understand the coming of Christ. Lest you understand both that God comes with rewards on one hand and judgment in the other. Second Peter chapter three, look at verse eleven. Second Peter three verse eleven. Since all these things, worldly things, earth, are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people are to are to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. And the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth. In which what dwells? Righteousness. Righteousness brings peace. Oh, he's going, he ended the war that day. Verse 9 says, He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots. Yes, He will. One day there will be no need for war. This is good news, but listen, this is sobering news. This is the very context as a result of coming and see what the Lord has wrought against those who pushed against God's people. This is the context that where God speaks into the song. Be still and know that I am God. That's how we need to read that. This is the climax of the song. This is when the crescendo reaches its highest point. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Back to the question. Who's he talking to? Well, first, he speaks to a restless, chaotic world. And what does he tell them? He tells them the same thing he told the storm that day. Be quiet! 
Guess what the storm always did? Guess what nature always does? It always obeys. He says, be still. Those birds chirping on that sunny morning was not doves. They were vultures. They were coming for the enemies of God. For they are no more. You see, this is not a contemplative call to reflect. This is a redemptive call to surrender. Jesus is speaking into the storms. He spoke into them that day. You see, look at verse 10. Just read it, brothers and sisters. Just read it. What is the end in view? Look at it. It's not man's hopes. The end in view is God's glory. Isn't it? I will be exalted. Back to Exodus 14. Is this, was this true then? Who saw that great victory of the Red Sea? Go back to Exodus 14. Look at verse 4. The Lord being omniscient and sovereign told them what was fixing to happen. Exodus 14. Look at verse 3. This is before... For Pharaoh will say of the people of God, they are wandering in the land and the wilderness has shut them in. Verse 4. I'm just reading. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. You feel the sober there? He said, after this is done with and I have delivered my people, Egypt will know one thing. I am the Lord. This is also a call to the people on the other side of the bank. You see, there's a Red Sea. There's a Red Seas of your life too. And there's people on both sides of the bank. God's people's on one side. If there were any enemies left, they were on the other. It's a call to remember, brothers and sisters, on this day of victory, that moment that you go back to when you testify in your life, you go back to, you remember whose you are. We are His. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob's my God. The Most High. Dwells with me. Spurgeon explains it. Verse 10 this way. Said in one hand. Hold off your hands you enemies. Sit down. And wait in patience you believers. Acknowledge that Jehovah is God. You who feel the terrors of his wrath. Adore him. And him only you who partake in the protection of his grace. So what does Israel do as a response of this overwhelming victory? Well, that's the chorus. Their response is the chorus. This is why God's people love to gather together with each other and sing. We worship the Lord of hosts. This is Israel's response. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In other words, their response is our response Worship in all. 
And here's the promise. One nation, one, one day that all the nations will. This is why we sung together this morning, Exodus 15. Because this was Israel's response. To worship. So what today? You see, that's the question. This was Israel's response. What is yours? How will you respond to the Lord of hosts? How will you this morning be still and know that He is God? Turn with me to John 16. I just want to end with Jesus said, we need reality in the midst of hard life. It does no good to listen to a word of faith gospel that says once you trust Jesus, all the birds start singing and you have no more trouble. That's not reality and we know it. Jesus said this, John 16, verse 32. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered. talking to the disciples. Each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but, I, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Turn with me now to 1 John. That's his gospel. He then writes letters to the church, those who have eternal life, who understand the gospel of John and has responded to that gospel. Same context, beaten down, weary Christians. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is how we overcome it. We place our faith in Jesus Christ in this life and in the next. We place it in Christ alone. The result is He takes up a dwelling place within you and He gives you rest. Our response to that is Romans 12. All of life is worship. All of it. Until he comes. I want to show you this as we close. I don't know if you've seen this book. Pastor Micah got some of these out. This is a book on the Reformation. It's out there in our kids section. It teaches our kids about the Reformers. There's a man named Martin Luther who was one of the key figures in church history because he led the church to be reformed, to reform its ways. We sang this earlier. A mighty fortress is our God. You see, Martin Luther wrote, wrote that in 1527. If you ask Martin Luther, we could talk to him today. He says, tell me a landmark, and he would go to 1527. And listen, if you look at the timeline of his life, he's rather impressive of what he accomplished. This, would, this was the year. This was the worst year of his life. He had spent 10 years leading the Reformation. It was beginning to take a toll on his life and on his body. He got sick that year. One illness after another debilitated, even stopped him from preaching. And then guess what? We just got through talking about this earlier, a few psalms ago. Just as he began to get better, what hit him? Spiritual depression. Depression hit him. He became discouraged. Steve Lawson, quoting him, 
Luther wrote during that time of his life, I spent more than a week in death and hell. My entire body was in pain and I still tremble. Completely abandoned by Christ, I labored under vacillations and storms of desperations and blasphemy against God. That's where he was. Here's the question. What did God do? You know what he sent? The black plague. Isn't it funny how God responds to our troubles? He sent the black plague, you know, to send everybody else running except who? Except Martin Luther and his pregnant wife who turned their house into a hospital. And he began in the midst of his own stuff, his own mess. He began to minister to God's people. He watched friend after friend die. His own son even became gravely ill. You see, that was the tilled ground of what his very soul he wrote. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. I just want you to understand this morning, brothers and sisters, that it is the hardest days of your life and my life that are the times that God brings the greatest mercies and the sweetest times of fellowship that you will remember forever. It calls us to trust Him. And I know it's not easy. But we serve a good God It says he won't leave us. And so for the rest of Martin Luther's life, when the opposition comes, he would say, hey, brothers, come together. Let us sing the 46th Psalm. So we end with God's word. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. Brothers and sisters, children of God, after you have suffered a little while, The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we bow before you and your word this morning. It was promised that one day the chaos of this world will be over and you will bring absolute peace. Thank you, Lord, that through Christ you have given us peace with you and peace in our very soul today. But Lord, this life is still hard and we still grow weary just like our brother Martin Luther did. And and so, Lord, today, can we in the midst of whatever we're going through, whether we're on a mountaintop or a valley or somewhere in the middle, Lord, would we be willing today simply to stand and sing and worship your holy name, and then to live a life that declares, I desire the nations to be glad in Christ. And I will reorient my whole life to be about that mission. Oh God, that you would raise us up to be about your business. And that that person who needs to be lifted up to a safe place today on your shoulders that you would grab them and kiss them on the cheek and set them in a high place so that they might worship you. It's our prayer for ourselves and each other in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, let's stand and sing.